Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, church. It is nice to have the youth in the front. <laughs> um, cool. I, um, I, I'm super excited about the, the message this morning. It really is a topic that's very close to my heart and... Um, what excites me the most about what we're going to talk about this morning is because it's relevant for each and every single one of us. It affects each and every single one of us. And so I want to put that out there even before we start, um, that this message is for you, um, and it is for me, um, and it's for every single one of us. Um, yeah, so we are taking a break from Colossians, but we are not taking a break from Paul. So we are, we are remaining with Paul, but we are giving a break to Colossians. And we're going to talk a little bit about Romans 12 this morning. Um, you know, and I was, we, we've said a lot about the rugby. Um, but, you know, it got me thinking sort of yesterday while we were driving to the rugby. It was, it was insane to see, you know, just like the, the groups of gatherings, like, at different places. I mean, people were setting up tents in their parking lots. It was very interesting to see. But, like, there were all these gatherings, I think, all across the country, all across the world. Um, and, and, you know, this morning, what makes this gathering different than all the other gatherings? What separates the gathering of this morning from all the other gather- gatherings? And it really is, it's a gathering a group of believers, people that love the Lord, that come together to worship Him and to hear from Him um, and and to be His hands and His feet, right, to those who do not know Him. Um, And so I want you to take a minute, maybe turn to the person next to you and ask, why are you here? Okay, seems like everyone knows the answers, Uh, um, right? So it's a, it's a very simple question, but it's a very deep-seated question, right? And, and so my focus this morning is hopefully not just to give you a reason why we, we gather, but also to consider the impact you can have when we gather, you as an individual. Um, and so we're going to start in Romans 12 from verse 1. And we're going to read all the way to verse 8, and I'm reading from the ESV, um, if you want to follow in your own Bible, or you can follow there. Um, And this is Paul speaking to the Roman church, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and individually... uh, Sorry, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together this morning, Lord. Thank you that you are here, Lord, to speak to us, to meet with us, Lord. Um, and I, I pray, Father God, that you would open each and every single heart, Lord. That you would help us, Lord, to, um, to humble ourselves, Lord, when it comes to your word. And to really receive your word with open arms because we know that it is the truth, Father God. So, Lord, thank you that you will sow good seed, Lord, in every single heart this morning, Lord, and that we will take root, and we pray, and we know, Lord, that it will bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, I'm going to kick off from verse 1, and we're sort of going to walk through the chapter as we go. Um, and, and I'm going to start with the first sort of phrase that Paul says, and Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore... And so, just a, a practical tip when you're reading the Bible for yourself, whenever you come across the word, therefore, you might as well read, go back. Because therefore means everything that I'm about to say is based on what I've just said, right? And so, the therefore, the context for what I'm about to say is extremely important. And, and so, it would be an injustice if we just skip past that. So, I just want to give you some quick context of the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a Roman church that consists of Jews and Gentiles. And the church finds themselves in a bit of a rocky place and, and find themselves divided. Ooh, that's a spider. Um, sorry. Um, not a fan. Um, but, um, all right. So, um, they find themselves in a rocky place, right? And, and divided amongst one another because of different, um, what, what do you call it, uh, rituals and practices, right? The Jews believe that people need to be circumcised and we need to not eat pork. And the Gentiles are like, we don't need to do any of those things. But both of these groups have accepted Jesus. Both of them love Jesus. Um, and, and so Paul is writing to a church that needs to be united, that needs to become united in following Christ, and, and Paul actually then lays out from chapter 1 to chapter 11, he writes the fullest explanation of the gospel and the death and the life and the resurrection of Christ that he does in all of the gospels. He spends 11 chapters to explain to the church of Romans what is the new life in Christ and what Christ has done for you and how you got saved not on your own merit, not because you are a Jew or a Gentile, but because of Christ. Um, and and that, that is the therefore. And, and so, based on that, Paul says, now, based on the fact that you now understand that you are saved, that you are in Christ, not because of who you are or what you've done, um, and that you are all there because of grace, I now appeal to you, I beg you, um, that, that appeal word is like, I invite you. 
And, and then he goes on and he says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so the first, these first two, uh, verse, uh, first two verses is literally a kickoff now of the second most important thing of the, of the letter of Romans. Because Paul spent now from verse 1, uh, from chapter 1 to 11, to explain to us how we got saved, how we came to this new life in Christ. But now from chapter 12, Paul is going to tell you how to walk in this new life that Christ has given to you. Let's look at it practically, what it looks like to walk in this life. And, and we're just basically going to look at this first sort of example of how we do this practically. And so Paul says, because you now understand that you are in Christ and that he has died for you and that you are saved, now I appeal to you, present your body as a living sacrifice. And so this scripture I know for me, it, it, it meant a lot for me when it came to, to sexual purity, specifically with the Lord used the scripture to really speak to my heart and helping me, um, you know, really deal with sexual sin in my life. Um, and, and I think we often use the scripture for sexual purity, and it, it, it is for that, 100%. But in, in really reading this, it, it becomes so clear that Paul doesn't just refer to the, to the flesh and bone. Paul refers to the, the entire body, everything that our physical bodies can give, right? The acts, what, what our hands can do, how we speak, the, the way we react, all of that encompasses our bodies. And so Paul, Paul says that, uh, and so Paul is not just referring to our flesh and bone. He's referring to our physical bodies, our whole being in that way. Um, and then he says, now take all of that and present it to God as a living sacrifice, right? And I think when you hear the sacrifice part, then we go like, Ooh, right? Um, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but we, we should. Because in biblical terms, we, we use the word sacrifice in a way of like, I will sacrifice my time, or I will sacrifice this. But, but the sacrifice for us sometimes means we give portions, right? We give portions of something. But biblically, a sacrifice was always connected to death. Right? <laughs> okay, you're with me. <laughs> okay, cool. So, but then Paul says, don't present yourself as a dead sacrifice. He says, present yourself as a living sacrifice, Right? And, and so basically what Paul, why Paul can say, present your, your body and all that you do as a living sacrifice is because Paul assumes now from chapter 1 to 11 that you understand that Christ died for you. That Christ was the dead sacrifice. Christ gave his life to die for you as a sacrifice. He gave all of who he is and who he gave it all on the cross for our salvation. And now Paul appeals to the believers, which means you and I, and he says, now, because Christ died for you, now live for him. Right? And not, because remember, that sacrifice is all of you. Christ gave all of himself. So Christ 
expects all of us. He does not deserve pieces of us. And and so he then goes on to say that give yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And I don't know, but like my acts, my physical acts, when I present my body to God, it definitely is not holy. And it is most definitely not acceptable to God. So how can Paul say, present yourself as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable? Because holy means set apart. It means exclusivity. And so when we truly give our everything that we do and who we are to God as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, come and live through me, it becomes set apart. And, and the Lord can bless that because it's his. It belongs to him. And that he finds acceptable. That which is fully, exclusively his. Amen? Um, and, and then he goes on to say, this, this sacrifice, this living sacrifice, now set apart for God, for him to use, holy and acceptable, this is your, this is your spiritual worship. Another way of sort of looking at the spiritual worship, that word spiritual actually um, is almost the word we use for logic. It's, it's like the logical thing to do. When we look at what Christ has done, there's almost no other way we would want to respond than to give our, ourselves to God. And then he says it's the logical thing to do, it's your, but, but the, the word worship means it doesn't just mean worship like we did this morning, singing and, and worshiping the Lord in that way, but it also means service. The Greek word there is latreia, and it literally means service, right? And so what God is saying is that when we present our physical bodies, when we present everything that we do in the physical to God as service to Him, it becomes worship, right? So our worship is not just limited to me putting my hands up or me praying, that's not the only worship. The Lord says, or this scripture says that when I present everything that I do to the Lord, it becomes worship unto him. That service becomes worship to him. And so a huge part, and and then Paul goes on and he says in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A huge part in presenting our bodies to the Lord is also presenting the way we think to Him. Because the way we think ultimately determines the way we live. Before my hand reaches out, my brain has told my body to do it. In the same way spiritually, If your mind doesn't think the right thing, I'm not going to do the right thing. (laughs) Amen. Um, And and I want to, because Paul is encouraging the the Roman church not to live like Romans, not to think like Romans. Just because you are in Rome doesn't mean you need to think like Rome. And, And it was very challenging for me reading this because just because we are in Joburg doesn't mean we need to think like Joburg. Right? The rush, the chase after success and 
we are bombarded by ways of thinking every single day of our lives. You drive past billboards and it's, it's fighting to change the way that you think. And, and Paul is saying, do not be conformed. Do not shape towards that thinking, but be renewed. We need a new way of thinking. And I, I want to pause on this thinking part because how often do we contend for the way that we think? How often do we, you know, do, do you have a guard in your mind, which is the word, and truth? Do you have a guard in your mind that actually stops a thought and says, wait, does this, does this come in line with what God is saying? Would God really speak this over me? Would God really say this about my boss? Right? Or would God really, really say this about my spouse? And, and I think we, you know, and the problem is if we don't allow the Lord to change our thinking, we will want to change the physical. And we will find fault with the physical. We will say that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But in fact, we are believing lies. And we've been conformed and we need our minds to be renewed according to what God says. Specifically, like the devil said, from an identity perspective, each and every single one of us, our identity is so much based on what we think. And the Lord, the Lord is there. He's ready to renew our minds. But we have to allow Him to shape that. And so... By presenting your physical body to God as a living sacrifice, renewing your mind constantly with God's word, you start to discern, it says, Paul says, you start to discern by testing. And then through that process, you start to know what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will for you. How encouraging is that? I think each and every single one of us would want to know what is God's will for our lives. And Paul is giving us a way of how that, that becomes possible. And, and that, those, these first two verses, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. Your life lay down, committed to live for God. And your mind constantly being renewed so that you will know the will of your Father. Amen? And so, with this in mind, Paul then now moves on to verse 3. And that's sort of where we're going to focus the rest of this. But, but Paul umbrellas this Christian life. And now, from verse 3 onwards, Paul starts getting practical. And Paul starts showing us what does this Christian life in a nutshell that I showed you in verse 1 and 2. Let me show you what it looks like practically. And the first thing Paul pitches to the Roman church is serving. Gifts. Um, and I think that's amazing. Let me read it for us. Um, for by the grace given to me, from verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts 
that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And so Paul is presenting, and I, I, I found this so, so interesting that Paul presents to a church that is divided, he encourages them to serve. He encourages them to become a part of the body. And he uses this analogy of the body, and he mentions three things. He mentions one body, many members with different functions, right? So as I'm standing here, I have one body, um, but I have different members. I've got legs, arms, all of the different things, and each and every single member has a different function. I do not see with my legs, and I do not walk with my eyes, right? Let's throw in the spring box here. One team, many members, many players, each and every single position has a different function, right? I think that makes it quite clear. And, and so, and then Paul says, so then he, he makes it, he makes it personal, verse 5, and he says, so we, 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 though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And, and I, that for me is so powerful because what Paul's saying is that if you are in Christ, the person next to you is a member of you and you are a member of them. Because my leg is a member of my arm. Because it's in one body. And my eye is a member of my toe. Because it's in one body. I mean, and, and we need to imagine how we would function as a body of believers if we could view the person next to us as a member. As I am a part of this person and this person is a part of me. We are in the same body in Christ. Um, and then Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so, so Paul's emphasis is on that last bit. He says, this is the point. Use your gift. Use your gift. And he says, so great. There's one body. There's many members. There's different functions. And how do these different functions work inside of the body? Through gifts. And then he says, Use the gifts. Because if you do not use the gifts, the members will not function. And if the members will not function, the body doesn't move. And, and Paul, is, Paul is presenting this to a church that is divided. Because Paul knows he doesn't encourage them to take a break from serving. To first sort out your heart. Like, you know, first sort everything out. And then we come serve. He says, serve. Come in and get involved. I heard something once and I thought it was, it's so profound. It says, it's easy, it's easy, or the, the solution always looks easy when you're standing far away. Right? And Paul knows if you, have to, if you bring your gifting, you have to bring yourself. Which means you have to get up close with the body. Which means... Something that looked so simple to you now becomes way more complicated. And everything that you thought might be fine with you becomes a little bit more complicated too. But in that way, as each and every single person show up, 
we get to, we get to find grace for one another because we see, okay, it's not that simple. And, and I want you to think about this. This says that this gift has been given to you by grace. The Holy Spirit has given you this gift. And the, the way I sort of imagine it is when the Lord saved you, when you said, Lord, thank you for your gift of salvation, thank you for saving me, it was literally as if the Lord grafted a space for you in the body. And that is the place where you need to function. And he gave you a gift to function in that place. And each and every single one of us have to show up to fulfill that function. We have to show up. And and Paul goes on to say, having gifts, the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. And, and so I want to ask a question. How many of, of us actually believe that we have received a gift? How many of us realize that we have a gift? And then secondly, how many of us know that that gift is not for ourselves, but it is for the body? Right? And then how many of us function within that gift, within the body? Because I can know I have a gift, and I can know it's for the body, but I might not function in it. And that's the point. That's getting to the point where Paul says, use it. We have to use our gift. And so I'm not, I'm not going to focus too much around all the different giftings. And I'm not going to focus... Um, because I think that's a whole series by itself. But one thing to understand, the things Paul mentions from verse 6 to 8 is not an exhaustive list. Um, the giftings are so, are so different, but Paul's emphasis this morning, and that is my emphasis, is to use your gift. That is, that is my emphasis, and that's my main focus. And, and we really need, we really need to, to come, like Paul said in verse 1 and 2, to come and bring our bodies, bring our gifts as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And we need to renew our minds when it comes to the way we think around our gifts and around how that, those giftings function within the body. And, and so Paul knows this, and that's why Paul speaks to two different groups when he's addressing the gifts. He's addressing people that do function in their gifts. And he's addressing people that do not function in their gifts. And to the people that are busy using their gifts, he says to them, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, in verse 3, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul says there, For by the grace given to me, and then in verse 6, he says the same. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So Paul includes himself in the ones that are using their gifts. Because Paul understands when he says, what I'm about to say to you is because I understand that I have received the gift of being an apostle. That is my gift. 
And so by the grace, because I understand that God has given me this gift for the body, that's why I will function in it now, and I'm going to talk to you about giftings. But I am not special. Me as Paul, I'm not special. It's grace given to me in verse 3 and grace given to us in verse 6. And, and so for those of us that have presented our gifts, that know what your gift, that, that you know that your giftings are and you are working at your gifting, serving in different places, Paul's reminder is to not to think too highly or to think, what did he say, think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That we must understand, first of all, that our gifts are from God. That we cannot conjure up this gift. It is something that he gives. Um, and it's something that he empowers. Amen? And then, and I think, you know, we, and then Paul says, like, that we need to do some introspection. We need to be sober when we come to the judgment regarding our gifts. And, and that's really what I want to ask us this morning as well. If, if you do introspection, if you do a sober judgment of how you function within your gifting, within the body, what does that look like? And this is not a, this is not a, a bad thing. It, it, it is a very good thing when we come to a place where we're like, Lord... I actually am not where you want me to be. Because then, then we are open for the Lord to help. Otherwise, we think we are on the mark and we're not. Um, and so Paul is saying in verse 3 as well, is he says that the responsibility to use and how you use your gifting is your own. I, I must use my gifting no one else can open your gift box for you it has your name on it no one else can function in that gifting but you Paul says it's different and then that sort of leads to the the second group where the question is Paul says use your gifts which means that there's a group of people that do not use their gifts and, and I want to I look at a few reasons why we don't use our gifts. One of the first things is because we don't know what our gifts are. Right? And I want to encourage you to not sit on this as an excuse, but to go to your small group and to be like, guys, what do you see in me? What are the gifts that you see in me? If that's too bold for you, message a friend that knows the Lord and be like, what are the giftings that you see in my life? Can you keep me accountable to function within them? You know, you, you don't know. And, and so Paul says that by testing, you will discern the good and perfect will of God. It is God's will that you function within your gifting. But you have to practice. You have to test and by that you will discern oh this is a gifting right you won't know if you can catch a ball unless you try and so we need to also sometimes apply logic normal logic to the way we approach the christian life amen 
we might feel our gift is insignificant or it's not special. Um, what makes a gift valuable is not, is not the gift itself. It's the one that gives the gift, right? I, I have a, a watch, and it's really not worth a lot, but it means the world to me because my mom gave it to me. And my mom is no longer here, so the, the person, the giver of the gift is what determines the value of that gift, not the gift itself. And I, I think the enemy has been sowing so many lies in the way we think when it comes to our giftings is that it's not important. It doesn't carry value. It's, it's not seen. I promise you, no one knows who is the admin person of the spring box, but he is integral to that team. The logistical manager. They would never show up for the game if it wasn't for him. So do not, do not undervalue your gift. Our gift doesn't feel needed or necessary. And Paul says to that, it says that each gift is different. And because each gift is different, it means that each gift is necessary. Because no giftings are the same. And even if the gift is similar, the way that gift operates through you as a person will look different. Right? And, and, and I, I trust that that will also kill comparison in the church. Because when we can understand and buy the truth that, Lord, the way that you've shaped me and the way that you formed me to function within this gifting will look different to the person next to me, then we can stop comparing. And I, I really think that this is a place where the enemy has really been stealing and actually um, st stopping a lot of people to step forward and to function within their gifts. Um, thirdly, it is messy. And we are afraid of making mistakes. And often, you know, we, we think that when it comes to sp spiritual growth and presenting our gifts, we again, we sometimes miss logic which we apply to everything else in life. You know, for example, none of us expected to drive a car perfectly the first time we got it. And we should expect the same when it comes to our gifts. You will not do it great the first time. But God knows, he knows how that gifts function, and he gave it to you, which means that he will teach you how to use it. Amen? He has committed to teaching us slowly, patiently, how to use that gifting. And there are people around us that have made mistakes within their gifts that, can, that we can learn from. We, we are not by ourselves. We are within a body. Ask the left arm, what did you do? <laughs> so that you as the right arm can do it different, right? Um, and then the last one is, and um, Tim, can I maybe ask for you to come up, please? Um, it's, Sorry, no, to the keyboard. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, I should have been more specific. Sorry, Tim. Um, and so the last one, it takes sacrifice. It is impossible to present your gift without giving of yourself. 
It, is, it will always cost you something. It is inevitable that there's a cost connected to your gift. It is inevitable. Um, and, and I find this is usually the place where we step back. If you have functioned in that gift, then this is usually the place where I step back because the cost has become too much. The sacrifice has become too much. Or I see, okay, my gifting is similar to that person's, but I see the cost that they're paying. I don't want to pay that cost. That sacrifices a lot. But I want to say something is that the sacrifices and the cost for you to function within your gifting will never outweigh the cost that Christ gave for you on the cross, ever. It will fall short every single time when we compare it to the cost that Jesus Christ made on the cross. And we need to realize that with a gift, I cannot give something which I have not received. I cannot give something which I do not have. And when it came to Christ, Christ was the only one that had the gift of righteousness. He was the only one that had it. It belonged to him, righteousness, sonship, forgiveness, holiness. All of those things was only Christ's. He's the only one that could carry that. And he gave himself for each and every single one of us so that we can have the gift of salvation. So we can not only have the gift of salvation, but that everything that was his would become ours. Everything that Christ had became ours. As a gift. And, and so the gift of salvation for us is a start. Where we have an opportuni- opportunity to take the extra gifts with the, which the Holy Spirit gives us to bless the body. We have an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to bring my body. I want to bring everything that you've given to me because you've died for me. And I want to live for you as if you've died for me. I want to bring my gifting, Lord. No longer do I want my gifting to sit in the box. If you gave someone a gift and you went and visited them three years later and you went to the bathroom and you saw the gifting still wrapped up, how would you react? How would, and I, sometimes that is what it looks like for us spiritually. The Lord has given us these gifts and we do not open it. We do not function within it. But I want to encourage us, each and every single one of us, to really ponder around the gift that we've received. What Christ did to give us this gift. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.